I won't lie. I'm not that motivated for tonight. The reason is because I just got my Yoda Lego puzzle to put together. And one and a half foot, one and a quarter foot Yoda doll, all in Legos. Just like you see over in Legoland in Carlsbad. I'm kind of excited. I want to do it. But we need to go over Animal Farm Chapter 6. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome to the Sunday Show. Okay, of course, most of you will be listening to this on Monday, so it won't make any difference. But now we're going to go into Chapter 6 of Animal Farm. Now, if you remember correctly, ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls... Napoleon was kind of, Napoleon the pig was kind of being an asshole. Now, I know it's been a couple of weeks, so you may not remember everything. You may have to review some of it. That's fine. Just go back and listen to it. But let's get started with this, because um, we're over halfway complete with the book. The chapters are going to get longer, and they're going to get really kind of tough now. So these chapters are going to get these chapters are now going to get pretty ugly. And if you got kids in the car and they don't like animals dying and stuff, this is probably going to be the time to stop reading them this book. Okay, so let's go. Chapter 6. All that year, the animals worked like slaves, but they were happy in their work. They grudged no effort or sacrifice, well aware that everything that they did was for the benefit of themselves and those of their kind who would come after them, and not for a pack of idle, thieving humans. This is the lie of communism. Communism tries to preach that all work is equal, and all rewards for the hard work are shared equally. They're not. That's a lie. It's a two-class system. The haves and the have-nots. And the haves, how about this? The haves and everyone else. Because the haves are few and far between. But everyone else will be enslaved and they will suffer. But they'll accept the suffering because they accept the propaganda. Hey, let's go move on. Throughout the spring and summer, they worked a 60-hour week. And in August, Napoleon announced that there would be work on Sunday afternoons as well. This work was strictly voluntary, but any animal who absented himself from it would have his rations reduced by half. Even so, it was found necessary to leave certain tasks undone. The harvest was a little less successful than the previous year. What a shock. And two fields, which should have been sown with roots in the early summer, were not sown because the plowing had not been completely completed early enough. It was possible to foresee that the coming winter would be a hard one. This is the same thing that always happens in authoritarian societies. It collapses. More hours are worked, less production. Eventually, we'll see no innovation. That's because there is no motivation for the animals to innovate. And they are being dumped on to produce more, more, more. They're going to work more, more, more. And if they fail, well, you're going to see what happens when they fail eventually. We'll see this throughout history. Um, there's a reason China steals technology. 
There's a reason the Soviet Union had the worst nuclear reactor disaster in history. Authoritarian governments cannot produce, they cannot innovate. They are they get they steal the innovation, then they half ass it because workers don't give a rat's ass, and that's it. And everything ends up going straight to hell in a handbasket. Let's move on. The windmill presented unexpected difficulties. There was a good quarry of limestone on the farm, and plenty of sand and cement had been found in one of the outhouses, so that all the materials for the building were at hand. But the problem the animals could not at first solve was how to break up the stone into pieces of suitable size. There seemed to be no way in doing this except for the picks and the crowbars, which no animal could use, because no animal could stand on his hind legs. Only after weeks of vain effort did the right idea occur to somebody, namely, to utilize the force of gravity. Huge boulders, far too big to be used as they were, were lying on the bed, uh, lying all over the bed of the quarry. The animals lashed ropes around these, and then, all together, cows, horses, sheep, any animal that could lay hold of a rope, even the pigs sometimes joined in the critical movement moments. Okay, even the pigs, because they're above all the other animals, as you'll see at the end of this book. They dragged them with desperate slowness up the slope to the top of the quarry, where they were toppled over the edge to shatter to pieces below. Transporting the stone when it was once broken was comparatively simple. The horses carried it off in cartloads, the sheep dragged single blocks. Even Muriel and Benjamin yoked themselves into the old governess cart and did their share. By late summer, a sufficient store of stone had accumulated, and, the, and then the building began under the superintendence of the pigs. Of course, they're not going to work or anything, they're just going to watch. But it was slow, laborious process. Frequently it took a whole day of exhausting effort to drag a single boulder to the top of the quarry, and sometimes when it was pushed over the edge it would fail to break. Nothing could have achieved without Boxer, whose strength seemed equal to that of all the rest of the animals put together. When the boulder began to slip and the animals cried out in despair at finding themselves dragged down the hill, it was always Boxer who strained himself against the rope and brought the boulder to the top. To see him toiling up the slope inch by inch, his breath coming fast, the tips of his hooves clawing on the ground, and his great size matted with sweat filled everyone with admiration. Clover warned him sometimes to be careful not to overstrain himself, but Boxer would never listen to her. His slogans, I will work harder, and Napoleon is always right, seemed to him a sufficient answer to all problems. He had made arrangements with the cockerel to call him three quarters of an hour earlier in the mornings instead of a half hour, and in his spare moments, of which there were not many nowadays, he would go alone to the quarry, collect a load of broken stone, and drag it down to the site of the windmill unassisted. Now, you remember when they took over the animal farm, the first thing they had said was, you will work less? Um, now they're working 10 hours a day, 6 days a week, sometimes 7 days a week. Well, now they're working 7 days a week. This is the lie. And it's been done over and over again in totalitarian governments. Let's move on.
The animals were not badly off throughout the summer, in spite of the hardness of their work. If they had no more food than they had, in, if they had no more food than they had within, uh, than they had had in Jones's day, at least they did not have less. The advantage of only having to feed themselves and not having to support five extravagant human beings as well was so great that it would have taken a lot of failures to outweigh it. And in many ways, the animal animal methods of doing things was more efficient and saved labor. Such jobs as weeding, for instance, could be done with a thoroughness impossible to human beings. And again, since no animal now stole, it was unnecessary to fence off pasture from arable lands, which saved a lot of labor on the upkeep of the hedges and the gates. Nevertheless, as the summer wore on, various unforeseen shortages began to make themselves felt. There was a need for paraffin oil, nails, string, dog biscuits, and iron for the horse's shoes, none of which could be produced on the farm. Later, there would also be need for seeds and artificial manures, besides various tools and, finally, the machinery for the windmill. How these were to be procured, no one was able to imagine. This is a big problem with authoritarian governments. Um, they're untrusting. They want to be isolated. And the problem is they lose the ability for technology and they lose the ability to gain resources. If you look at some countries, China did this for centuries until they finally opened their borders. The Soviet Union also did this. They forced their people to create the technology that they needed until the point that, you know, they were blowing things up, their nuclear weapons never worked, Chernobyl happened. It was, it was misery. Cuba and North Korea also do this. They refuse to take um, any resources or anything that they are not going to get, be able to create from countries that actually have it, like the United States or some of the European countries. They decide to drop this stuff. They decide that we don't need it. And meanwhile, people are starving and they're tech, and te technologically, they're way behind the rest of the world. So let's continue. On Sunday morning, when the animals assembled to receive their orders, Napoleon announced that he had decided upon a new policy. From now onwards, the animal farm, uh, animal farm would engage in trade with neighboring farms, not, of course, for any commercial purpose, but simply in order to obtain certain materials which they urgent, which were urgently necessary. The needs of the windmill must override everything else, he said. He was therefore making arrangements to sell a stack of hay and part of the current year's wheat crop, and later on, if more money were needed, it would have to be made up by the sale of eggs, for which there was always a market in Willington. The hens, said Napoleon, should welcome the sacrifice as their own special contribution towards building the windmill. In order to gain access to resources that the animals need, they will need to go against their moral beliefs. Now, their moral beliefs are fake. They're altered. The pigs made up their moral beliefs, and the pigs don't believe in that stuff. They never did. They believe in what is better for the pigs. 
this does make sense. The problem is some of the negotiations are with groups that they demonize. Hey, humans weren't great, but they always provided for the animals. By trying to isolate themselves from the enemies, they have limited themselves access to the resources they need to thrive. And when desperate, they will negotiate with enemies. This looks hypocritical, but the reality is it is necessary. Countries like Cuba and North Korea are examples of countries with limited resources. Cuba can deal with other countries, but they will limit themselves on who they can deal with. Because, and they have restrictions placed on themselves. North Korea doesn't deal with any country because of the restrictions and because they just don't want to do it. They don't want the people, and we're going to get into this in a second, they don't care if the people suffer because of it. The Kim Jong-un, for example, in North Korea, is eating very well. He's not, he's 100 pounds overweight. He has diabetes. Meanwhile, people in the streets are eating rats. This is, this is the problem when we talk about, um, when you talk about the problems with authoritarian governments, isolated governments. I, I don't even want to say this is an authoritarian thing. This is more of an isolationist thing. I also want to point out, do you notice um, everyone, the chickens, for example, have to give up their eggs to trade in Willington? Do you notice everyone seems to be sacrificing except for the pigs? And no one seems to really be saying, None of nobody seems to be saying anything? That's not a coincidence. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Okay, let's move on here. Once again, the animals were conscious of the vague, uh, conscious of a vague uneasiness. Never have any dealings with human beings. Never to engage in trade. Never to make use of money. Had not these been among the earliest, amongst the earliest resolutions passed at the first triumphant meeting after Jones was expelled? All the animals remembered passing such resolutions, or at least they thought that they had remembered it. The four young pigs, who had protested when Napoleon abolished the meetings, raised their voices timidly, but they were promptly silenced by the tremendous growling from the dogs. Then, as usual, the sheep broke in, four legs good, two legs bad. There's the uh, idiotic, idiotic chanting that we hear today. I'm continuing. And the momentary awkwardness was smoothed over. Finally, Napoleon raised his trotter for silence and announced that he had already made all the arrangements. There would be no need for any animals to come in contact with the human beings, which would clearly be the most undesirable. He intended to take the whole burden upon his shoulders. And Mr. Wimper, a social solicitor living in Willington, had agreed to act as intermediary between Animal Farm and the outside world. The and would visit the farm every Monday morning to receive his instructions. Napoleon ended his speech with the usual love of Long Live Animal Farm, and after the singing of Beasts of England, the animals were dismissed. Of course, Napoleon doesn't want any of the animals to be in contact with humans. We already know what happened when Molly made contact with humans and found that things were better. Now animals are being controlled, overworked, and now they don't have enough food. So if 
Napoleon had allowed the animals to actually negotiate with the human beings, what do you think would happen now? And you already know the animals have a just a they're very uncomfortable. Let's move on. Afterwards, Squealer made a round of the farm and set the animals' minds at rest. He assured them that the resolution against engaging in trade and using money had never been passed or even suggested it. It was a pure imagination, probably traceable in the beginning of the lies circulated by Snowball. Um, Little transference and a lot of propaganda here. A few animals still felt faintly doubtful, but Squealer asked them shrewdly, are you certain that this is not something that you dreamed, comrades? Have you any record of such a resolution? Is it written down anywhere? And since it was certainly true that nothing of any kind existed in writing, the animals were satisfied uh, that they had been mistaken. What's disturbing about this, this is the laws are set in the Animal Farm's constitution but because nobody can read and nobody is a lawyer, the laws are now being manipulated. You actually do see that here today. The Supreme Court is a prime example of that. For example, I have no problem with gay marriage, but gay marriage is not in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court has decided to like basically rewrite the Constitution by legalizing gay marriage. Uh, Roe versus Wade is another example. It's never, it's, there's, there's nothing about abortion in the constitution and the, um, and the Supreme court is only supposed to be about the constitution, but they, they don't, they don't. So we're seeing, this is not an authoritarian thing or a communist thing. This happens in this country. Let's move on. Every Monday, Mr. Wimper visited the farm as he had arranged. He was a sly-looking little man with side whiskers, a solicitor in a very small way of business, but sharp enough to have realized earlier than anyone else that Animal Farm would need a broker and that the commissions would be worth having. The animals watched his coming and going with a kind of dread and avoided him as much as possible. They didn't have a choice. They couldn't couldn't talk to him. That wasn't going to happen. Mr. Wimper would have taken them. But anyway. Nevertheless, the sight of Napoleon on all fours delivering orders to Wimper, who stood on two legs, roused their pride and partly reconciled them to the new arrangement. Their relations with the human race were now not quite the same as they had been before. The human beings did not hate the animal farm any less now that it was prospering. Indeed, they hated it more than ever. Every human being held it as an article of faith that the farm would go bankrupt sooner or later, and, above all, that the windmill would be a failure. They would meet the pub- in public houses and prove to one another by means of diagra- diagrams that the windmill was bound to fall down, or that if it did stand up, then it would never work. It would never work. And yet, against their will, they had developed a certain respect for the efficiency with which the animals were managing their own affairs. One symptom of this was that they had begun to call Animal Farm by its proper name and ceased to pretend that it was called the Manor Farm. They had also dropped their championship of Jones, who had given up all hope of getting his farm back and gone to live in another part of the country. Except through Whimper, there was as yet no contact between Animal Farm and the outside world. But the 
There were constant rumors that Napoleon was about to enter a definite business agreement with Mr. Pinkleton of Foxwood or with Mr. Frederick of Pinchfield, but never, it was noticed, with both simultaneously. That's because simply you you got to just keep your enemies close, keep your enemies close and your keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That's essentially what it is. Don't let the two know what's going on. And actually that's a business practice. That's actually you notice if you ever work in business and you have to get um, quotes from people, you don't tell the one business what the other business quoted. That's unethical. You don't do that. Same thing here. This is actually a, a standard, a good standard business practice. Let's continue on. It was about this time that the pig suddenly moved into the farmhouse and took up residence there. Again, the animals seemed to remember that a resolution against this had been passed in the early days. And again, Squealer was able to convince them that this was not the case. It was absolutely necessary, he said, that pigs who were the brains of the farm should have a quiet place to work in. It was also suited to the dignity of the leader. For of late, he had taken to speaking of Napoleon under the title of leader. That's a big thing. Now Napoleon has taken the godlike stance. He is addressed with reverence. He's not addressed as a, an equal. That's when you know he has taken control. Nevertheless, some of the animals were disturbed when they heard the pigs not only took their meals in the kitchen and used the drawing room as a recreation room, but also slept in the beds. Boxer passed it off, as usual, with Napoleon is always right, but Clover, who thought she remembered a definite rule against the beds, went to the end of the barn and tried to puzzle out the seven commandments which were inscribed there. Finding herself unable to read more than individual letters, she fetched Muriel. Muriel, she said, read me the fourth commandment. Does it not say something about never sleeping in a bed? It says no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets, she announced finally. The lies just starting to keep piling up now. Eventually those lies are going to be a detriment to the pigs. The laws were told, they were told the laws would never change. Now the laws are changing, but the pigs are lying about the laws changing. This is going to be a problem for the pigs, and we're going to have to see what they're going to do about it. Okay, so let's move on. Curiously enough, Clover had not remembered that the fourth commandment mentioned sheets, but as it, as it were there on the wall, it must be done so. And Squealer, who happened to be passing at the moment, attended by two or three dogs, was able to put the whole matter into proper perspective. Now, I want you to, to see something here. Everyone's in easy about this. No one, none of the animals, besides the pigs, are comfortable. But meanwhile, if any animal begins to start questioning things, there's always a pig there and there are always dogs there. This, this is, it's a constant threat. Nothing here is comfortable. Nothing here is good. And the animals will begin to realize it eventually. You have heard then, comrades, he said, that we pigs now sleep in the beds of the farmhouse. And why not? You did not suppose, surely, that there was 
ever a ruling against beds. A bed merely means a place to sleep in. A pile of straw, that's a, yeah, that's not a, right, that's not the right, place to sleep is how it should end, not in. Poor George Orwell. Anyway, a pile of straw in a stall is a pred bed properly regarded. The rule against sheets, which are human, which are a human invention. We have removed the sheets from the farmhouse beds and sleep between the blankets. Um, big difference between blankets and sheets, eh? And very comfortable beds they are, too, but not more comfortable than we need. I can tell you, comrades, with all the brain work we have to do nowadays, you would not rob us of our repose, would you, comrades? You would not have us too tired to carry out our duties. Surely none of you wishes to see Jones back. The you don't expect want to see Jones back thing is probably getting a little old. In fact, what is the difference between Jones and Napoleon except that the animals don't have enough to eat? Again, more propaganda. And propaganda works. Propaganda is what Hitler was brilliant at propaganda. He kept most of the country of Germany under this ease that the Jews were evil and it's not that bad. My grandfather believed at one point that, oh, there were only a couple hundred thousand Jews killed and it was because they were ill. There was the disease and things like that. That's propaganda. That's the whole thing. It's all about propaganda. Most of this book, we're on page 51 out of 96. It's all about propaganda. So let's continue. The animals reassured him on this point immediately, and no more was said about the pigs sleeping in the farmhouse beds. Now, we don't know if the animals reassured that, okay, they believe him because he had convinced them or because the dogs were next to him. We don't know that yet. Continuing. When and when, some days afterward, it was announced that from now on the pigs would get up an hour later in the morning than the other animals. No complaint was made about either. That kind of answers that question I just asked. By autumn, the animals were tired but happy. They had a hard year, and after the sale of part of the hay and the corn, the stores of food for the winter were none too plentiful, but the windmill compensated for everything. It was almost half-built now. After the harvest, there was a stretch of clear, dry weather, and the an animals toiled harder than ever, thinking it well worth while to plod to and fro all day with blocks of stone, if by doing so they could raise the walls another foot. Boxer would even come out at nights and work for an hour or two on his own by the light of the harvest moon. In their spare moments, the animals would walk around and round, and the half-finished mill, admiring the strength and perpendicularity of its walls and marveling that they should ever have been able to build anything so imposing. But old Benjamin refused to grow enthusiastic about, uh, about the windmill. Although, as usual, he would utter nothing but beyond the cryptic remark that donkeys live a long time. Now, what is he saying? Because I never talked about about Ben. I've never talked about uh, Benjamin. Benjamin is the old guy who's seen it all, and he knows it's all bullshit. That's all it's about. 
Benjamin knows what Napoleon is up to. Benjamin knows what the pigs are up to. Benjamin has seen this with Jones when he was the farmer. It's just the same old thing, different day. And when Napoleon wants to kill somebody to eat, he will. He'll sell the eggs of the chickens. He just knows what's going to happen. This is nothing new to him. November came with raging southwest winds. <clears throat> the building had to stop because it was now too wet to mix the cement. Finally, there came a night when the gale was so violent that the farm buildings rocked on their foundations and several tiles were blown off the roof of the barn. The hens woke up squawking with terror because they had all dreamed simultaneously of hearing a gun go off in the distance. It, in the morning, the animals came out of their stalls to find the flagstaff had been blown down and an elm tree at the foot of the orchard had been plucked up like a radish. They had just noticed this when a cry of despair broke from, the, from every animal's throat. A terrible sight had met their eyes. The windmill was in ruins. With one accord, they had dashed down to the spot. Napoleon, who seldom moved out of a walk, raced ahead of them all. Yes, there it lay in the fruit, the fruit of all their struggles, leveled to his foundations. The stones they had broken and carried so laborlessly scattered all around. Unable to speak at first, they stood gazing mournfully at the litter of fallen stone. Napoleon paced to and fro in silence occasionally snuffing at the ground. His tail had grown rigid and twitched sharply from side to side, a sign in him of intense mental activity. Suddenly he halted as though his mind were come up, made up. Comrades, he said quietly. I screamed it, but he said it quietly. Comrades, do you know, he said quietly, do you know who is responsible for this? Do you know who the enemy who has come in the night and overthrown our windmill, windmill? Snowball, he suddenly roared in a voice of thunder. Snowball has done this thing, a sheer malignant, malignancy, thinking to set back our plans and avenge himself for the ignominious expulsion. This traitor has crept here under the cover of night and destroyed our work of nearly a year. Comrades, here and now I pronounce the death sentence upon Snowball. Animal hero, second class, and half a bushel of apples to any animal who brings him to justice. A full bushel to anyone who captures him alive. Never let a good crisis go to waste. That's what George Stephanopoulos say. Nothing can be an accident. It all has to be a conspiracy. The rebellion must continue. That's me saying. By the way, Everything I'm saying now is me. The rebellion must continue. And all outside of the animal farm are the enemy. Even those who were the greatest allies of animal farm. Only to be expelled by the tyrannical. Let's continue. The animals were shocked beyond measure to learn that even Snowball could be guilty of such an action. There was a cry of indignation, and everyone began thinking out ways of catching Snowball if he, had ever, he should ever come back. Almost immediately, the footprints of the pigs were discovered in the grass at a little distance from the knoll. 
They could only be traced a few yards, but appeared to lead to a hole in the hedge. Napoleon snuffed deeply at them and pronounced them to be snowballs. He gave it as his opinion that Snowball had probably come in the direction of the Foxwood Farms. No more delays, comrades, cried Napoleon, when the footprints had been examined. There is work to be done. This very morning we begin rebuilding the windmill, and we will rebuild all through the winter, rain or shine. We will teach this miserable traitor that he cannot undo our work so easily. Remember, comrades, there must be no alteration of our plans. They shall be carried out to the day. Forward, comrades. Long live the windmill. Windmill. Long live Animal Farm. So, do you get that, that Napoleon's kind of full of shit? So, you have a natural event that happened, and Napoleon is blaming one of his, one of his actual buddies that had been gone for ages. It couldn't be the wind that knocked it down. That would mean that there are things that are a coincidence. That nature could be an issue. Nature can't be an issue. But like we talk about we talk about this with when we talk about climate change. You know, we have we have a hurricane, it's because of climate change. We have fires in California, it's because of climate change. It's not because of crappy governance, which usually is the thing, or just crappy happenstance. It just happens. Well, I hope you enjoyed this uh, reading tonight. Um, it's going to get darker. Yes, it. believe it or not, it gets darker. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can uh, visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. You can view all the show notes. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.